So did you see Kanye's running for president? There you go. I think we talked about this in another episode. Oh, yeah, we definitely did. So you see the coronavirus. That's crazy, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know which one way of starting Well, actually, John this? MacArthur said it wasn't crazy. Yeah. Oh. I want my fresca. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he said, no more coronavirus. I'm going to get my fresca. Yes. He said to pour the fresca on the coronavirus. Yeah, anointing fresca. Yes. COVID. On the forehead. COVID exactly. is canceled. COVID is officially canceled. COVID canceled. Hashtag CC. Capturing COVID. Yeah. CCC. CC Sabathia. Contemporary Christian. Yes. COVID. COVID canceled Sabathia. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> anyway, if this is your first time listening, we are ridiculous. And we start every single show with fake news or real news. Real Breaking banter news or fake Bible banter? Theaters news Network. And today I got one that I know I'm going to bring the stump. Hey, hey, I'm Nick. I'm here with. Ryan and Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. And if you're listening, I would love for you to guess with us before Ryan and Mark give their answer because it makes it a lot more entertaining. But this is how we start the show every show. But before, you know, as we continue recording, we always jump into other things like the title of the book, author, <laughs> date of writing, date of events, purpose, and fun facts. That is. The general outline of every single episode, but we always. <laughs> anyway, today's fake news or real news. Reopen theme parks. Everything is open. The food, the rides, everything. Reopen theme parks ban. The only ban that they have is that you're not allowed to scream on the roller coasters. No. No. Due to COVID-19? No. You said no. Wait, you said every theme park? No, just this particular one, maybe. Oh, just one? This theme park reopened everything. The only ban? You cannot scream on roller coasters. Nope. It slows the spread. (laughs) Yeah, but the other week, it was a true story that uh, what was it? Black people had to wear masks and white people didn't have to. Yeah, that was a while ago. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is stupid enough to be real. I'd say that's fake. Ryan's saying it's fake. So yeah. I'm going to go with Ryan. But what do you say? You say real? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with Ryan. And I told you I'm bringing the stump, baby. You brought the stump today? Japan's park recommendations aim to prevent the spread Japan. of COVID-19, but thrill-seekers find keeping quiet isn't easy. <laughs> At the Fuji Q Highland Amusement Park Fuji recently... Q. Yo, you ever go to that Fuji Q? Anyway, the chief executive and his corporate boss took a ride on the park's number one attraction. Guess what it's called? The screamer. The, fu- the Fuji Costa. The Fujiyama roller coaster. Hey. Oh. And plunge 230 feet without so much as a peep. <laughs> that sounds like a blast. <laughs> the video showed the two executives, both clad in masks, 
sternly riding the coaster in complete and utter sternly. silence. <laughs> it ended with a message. I will enjoy this. Please scream inside of your heart. <laughs> oh, my gosh. From Fujiyama to Tokyo's Disney Seas Tower of Terror, Japan's campaign against the coronavirus is targeting thrill seekers who might expel a burst of virus carrying droplets of scream with a, with a mid ride utterance. Enjoy the ride, say theme park operators. Just don't let your voice show it. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, but churches can't meet. I can get behind that. Churches can't meet because people scream too much. That's what they're No, no, no. Churches can meet the way it started. They can't scream, Which though. was a way that I was going to incorporate fake news or real news, but I knew you guys were going to probably guess it, so I try to stump you, is that singing was illegal. Yeah. Singing started as an illegal act, but the churches were allowed to open and fellowship. But, fellow, but singing is apparently the deadly Oh, is that a spread. thing right now? No, that's how it started in California, and then in, and inevitably ended with the churches couldn't open at all. Oh. But it started with singing being the illegal thing. Mm -hmm. I see. Singing and screaming, bad. Yeah. Got it. But talking and protesting, good. Oh, I need my fresca. I want my fresca. <laughs> So, today is an unusual episode. Actually, the last two that you saw uh, before, what were the other four books? Um, uh, well, actually, no. The recording makes it seem as if we just did three, but we just did Jonah. So, yeah, so we had a little break with a normal episode. We just released Jonah, and I hope all of you listen to it. It's super fun with our friend Anthony from The Bible is Funny. And then Frank Turek. Yeah, and then Frank oh, yeah. Turek. Last week. So we had a couple of breaks, yeah. but in order to uh, do this well, because some of these books are really short, we are combining four books into this one episode, and it's Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Wait a minute. Run that back. Habakkuk. 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 Yeah, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Yeah, so we're doing four books. Uh, Nick and myself are going to be interchanging books. I'm going to start us off with Micah. First book is Micah. You'll see this is true for all of these books, but the title comes from the writer of the book, and Micah's name means, Who is like the Lord? Who? 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 How you doing? So that is the title. As far as the author, um, there isn't really debate on the author of Micah. Uh, the book claims that Michael, Michael, Micah wrote it in verse 1. Something interesting about Micah is that he came from a town called Morasheth, which was a rural town about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Uh, and so he was probably some type of farmer or shepherd. So that is the author. Now into the date of writing. Occur. So... 
Micah internally claims to have prophesied during the reigns of Jotham, which was between 750 and 731 BC, and Ahaz, which was 731 to 715 BC, and Hezekiah, which was 715 to 686 BC. So as far as the date of the events, the events in the book are simultaneous with the writing. So these prophecies were given between 750 and 686 BC. This time period was actually a time of peace and affluence in Israel. But, however, it was a time of spiritual emptiness. So yeah, 750 to 686 BC, that's when Micah was prophesying. Peace, but spiritual emptiness. Now it is time for the almighty porpoise of the book. Almighty. The almighty porpoise. Um, Okay. So Micah was written to the southern kingdom of Judah, but it was a warning of the northern kingdom's coming exile to Assyria. So basically, Micah was warning that Judah would experience the same thing that Israel was about to experience if they didn't also turn from their sins. So that is why Micah wrote the book of Micah. Now it is time for the first installment of this episode of the Fun Facts, Fun Facts, Fun Facts, Fun Facts. The first fun fact is that Micah is short for Micaiah. So it's kind of like Mike and Michael, Joe and Joseph. Mike and Mike. Mike Mike and Mike. Mike and Ike. Micah is short for Micaiah. So it's kind of like a nickname, Micah. The second fun fact is that he was a contemporary of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. Look at you. And the third and final fun fact is that in Jeremiah 26, there was a group of people who wanted to put Jeremiah to death for preaching coming destruction, but a group of elders spoke up, and they mentioned Micah chapter 3, verse 12, which states that Judah would be destroyed. So that verse in Micah actually ended up saving Jeremiah's life. Oh, wow. So let's jump into, boing, the outline of the book. There are four Four. sections of Micah. The first one doesn't count. It's the first verse, and it's just the heading. So we counted that as a section just because it's its own section, all right? Give me a break. The second section is the first oracle, and these are broken up into three different oracles. So that's where the sections of the book come from. The first oracle is about Israel's impending judgment and future restoration, as you've heard in many episodes in the prophet section. And that's chapter one and two. Basically, God is going to come and destroy them. And then later on in the first chapter, Micah mourns and he wails. And he also tells the people that they should be mourning and wailing and that they should shave their head and put on sackcloth. (laughs) All right. And that's in chapter one. Chapter two talks about the different sins that were going on. Basically, the wealthy people were taking people's land and oppressing them. And there were false prophets chilling and they were preaching that God wasn't going to judge them and that they should go ahead and just get drunk. All right. And then lastly, chapter two. There's a prediction that Israel will one day be restored and will have someone lead them. That's the second section and the first oracle. 
The second oracle is chapters 3 through 5, and it starts in chapter 3 with a condemnation of Israel's leaders. <clears throat> so basically, the, the leaders were dealing unjustly. They were taking bribes. And because of this, it says that Israel will be, quote, plowed like a field. And that's chapter 3. Then in chapters 4 and 5, it talks about the blessings for Israel in the future. Basically, it says that Zion will one day be a place of glory, that the army of Zion will be strong. <clears throat> and then in verses 2 through verse 5a, there's actually a beautiful prophecy about Jesus. Um, it mentions that a king will be born out of Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. It says a king from ancient days, and it says he will shepherd the people. So I love that. I love Jesus made a cameo appearance in Micah. Talks about him. This is a prophecy about him being born in Bethlehem, which, as we know, looking back on history, that happened. Beautiful. <clears throat> Ding moment. Are you lying to me? Basically, the rest of this is about... Uh, no, I'm not lying to you. Basically, the rest of this is about uh, Zion, how it will be restored, and the idols will be destroyed. And then the fourth and final section of Micah. This is the third oracle. And this is... Oh, the oracle's done. Oh, maybe Micah's done, because this is the last. So, <clears throat> the third oracle is God's case against Israel and the ultimate triumph of his kingdom, because the microwave was going off. No. Microwave. Done. The microwave was going the off. The microwave <laughs> is done. Ah, the microwave. I like it. I like it the a lot. The fourth section, the microwave. Micah. Chapter 6 and 7. <clears throat> Basically, the Lord indicted his people for judgment. He said, I have been good to you. <laughs> he said, what can we do to fix this? Um, <clears throat> and basically, the sentence of judgment is that Israel was going to be destroyed. They were going to be punished because people are drunk. They're gluttons. They're greedy. And uh, basically, they're fricked. Man, Bible's so unrelatable. So true. People don't do that. But <laughs> I will tell you, there is a very relatable part at the end, even though people do do that, Ooh. is in chapter 7, verses 8 through 20. This is kind of Micah's confidence in the Lord. And it starts with advice to the ungodly. And the advice is, do not mock people who are suffering because you could also be suffering. So that's verses 8 through 13. Yeah, he said, check yourself. Before you microwave yourself. So, and then that ends with a prayer for deliverance from their enemies and then a prayer for forgiveness. And that's Micah. That's the whole book of Micah. Yeah. How you doing? That's Micah. All right, next we have the amazing book of Nahum. And we open up with the... Where are the turtles? Where are they? With the title. And the title comes from, you guessed it, the author, Nahum. And Nahum's name means comfort or consolation. Hmm. So when I lay in my bed, I say, ah, Nahum. You say, I feel Nahumable. Yeah. 
I feel nahamable, which is consolation. <laughs> Consolationable. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and the author, there isn't much detail about Nahum, but the book, the book proclaims Nahum wrote it in the opening sections of verse 1. So that's not a point that we can really argue. Can't argue that. Can't. The next is the date of writing. The book doesn't tell us when it was written, so we need to figure it out using historical clues. This book is about judgment on Nineveh, and the picture of Nineveh in this book is of a strong nation. So Nineveh was the main city in Assyria. Nineveh's power started declining rapidly in 626 BC, so it was written before this time. And then in Chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, Nahum mentions the fall of Noaman, which is another name for the Thebes. The Thebes. Yeah. This happened in 663 BC. Yeah, Thebes is a city in Egypt for all you geographically. There we go. Um, impaired. All right. And that concludes that Nahum was written between 663 and 626 B C. Yep. Next is the <laughs> porpoise of the book. This book was mainly written as a comfort to the Jewish people that one day God would judge the Assyrian people who've exiled them and treated them poorly. So let's not forget in considering that purpose what the meaning of Nahum's name is, and that's consolation. No, and that's comfort. So it was to provide comfort to the people who have experienced some unfortunate events in their lives. Now it's for everyone's favorite part of the show. The second installment. Come on. Oh, that was a premature flight. <laughs> the fun facts. So we're not 100% sure what town Nahum is from, but he could be from the area which became known as Capernaum. We know that because the name means town of Nahum. Mm. If you know anything about Capernaum, that's where Jesus turned water into wine. <clears throat> sure. And that is the one and only fun fact. There's nothing else fun about this book. Nothing. It's only one and only. Next, we jump into the general outline. Once again, as I always say, please do not let this substitute your reading of God's Word. We are attempting to aid you through the reading so you know what's going on generally in this book. But we want to encourage you to read your Bible. But when we open up this book, we are, um, we are given the oracle concerning Nineveh, and that is in chapter 1, verse 1. Then we see in point 2, and again, I always forget to start the the outline by telling you how many parts that are in the book but this particular book has three parts and now we are in part two uh that is Nineveh's destruction declared and that is in chapter one verses two through fourteen when Jonah preached repentance on the street of Nineveh the people were spared a century later you have Nahum preaching to Nineveh and they did not have repentant hearts. Hmm. Okay, so that is why the destruction is declared in verses 2 through 14. 
But then we are given the anger and goodness of Yahweh, and that is chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Keep this in mind. In this text, it says that the Lord is slow to anger. With that being said, he's angry here. If he's slow, that means it's obvious that Nineveh is very deserving of the wrath of God in this text. Okay? But then we see in continuation of reading of chapter 1 and verses 9 through 14, Yahweh's plans for Nineveh and Judah. And that's broken up into three parts. First, the consumption of Nineveh. And that is that Nineveh will be destroyed. We see that in verses 9 through 11. Then the liberation of Judah, verses 12 to 13, that Judah will be delivered from Assyria. And then the termination of Nineveh in verse 14. The Lord issued a decree against them and their dynasty will come to an end. So then we see in the third and final part of this book, Nineveh's destruction Described, And we see that in the beginning of chapter 1, verse 15, through chapter 3, verse 19. And that is broken up into four descriptions of Nineveh's fall. The first description of Nineveh's fall is chapter 2, verses 3 and 7. And the warriors' shields are dyed red, soldiers' cloth in scarlet. The, the charlots, the, wow. <laughs> the chariots come with flashing metal. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots gleam like torches. It gets way worse and more into detail. Just read it and get to know what it's describing there. The second description of Nineveh's fall is in chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. It straight up got up and started running away. <laughs> I didn't realize water could do that. They do. In this case, water can run. I see. Because. Oh, running water. It's running away. It makes away. sense now. You're running away. Your water is running. Yes. They cry, stop, but no one looks back. Destruction, devastation, and desolation is guaranteed. The third description of Nineveh's fall in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Woe to the city guilty of bloodshed. They are filled with lies. There will be piles of the dead. The description goes on and on. And I would encourage you to open your Bibles and read it. It is deep stuff. The fourth and final description of Nineveh's fall. We see in chapter 3, verses 8 through 19. They will be drunkards. Again, I've mentioned this before. Uh, Being drunkards is being used here as an imagery of defeat in battle. The descriptions are super deep, and I would highly recommend reading through them. But we see drunkards and, and drunkenness all throughout these books. And of course, it means drunk, but it has deeper meaning than what is at its surface. How you doing? That's it. That's the book of Nahum. So that is the second installment of this episode. The third installment is Habakkuk. The title comes from, you guessed it, the writer of the book. So Habakkuk's name could mean either one who embraces or one who is embraced. So who's doing the embracing here? Is it Habakkuk or is Habakkuk the embracee? He's very lonely. That's the question. Well, no, he's embracing 
or he's being embraced. So someone else over there is lonely looking at Habakkuk embracing somebody. It could be himself. Sick. It could be self-embrasion. It could be. (laughs) Self-embrasion. So that's the title of Habakkuk. The author. The book proclaims that Habakkuk is the author. The date of writing. It can be concluded that because of the mention and prophecies regarding, quote, the Chaldeans, which is Babylonians in Bible speak, in chapter 1, verse 6, that could point to a late 7th century date when they were coming to power and they were threatening Judah with exile. It also mentions that it was during a time of lawlessness, uh, which wouldn't describe the reigns of either Manasseh or Josiah, who were kings in the 7th century. King Josiah died in 609 B.C., and his reforms were quickly overturned by Jehoiakim. That places the writing between 609 and 605 B.C. Next is the porpoise of the book. So the purpose of Habakkuk is that it actually addresses the problem of evil more than many other books in the Bible, I would say. I mean, there's the Jobs of the world, Mm -hmm. but there's also the Habakkuks of the world. His main concern is asking God, why is this evil nation of Babylon coming to destroy your people of Judah? So that's really the main idea here of this book, is Habakkuk asking this of God. All right, so there is one and only one fun fact for Habakkuk. One, one, and only one. Na, 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 na. Remember the song? Nope. I'll tell you what. I think that I would like Habakkuk as a guy, as a dude. That's the fun fact? No. Oh. And let me tell you why. Because Habakkuk was a lot more of a, how people would say, free spirit than all of the other prophets. So many of the other prophets just had kind of straightforward prophecies of destruction. Habakkuk, however, was very poetic and emotional. There's also a possibility that he was a musician. Based on the final words of the book, which are, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So you're, pl- you're supposed to play guitar to this one. Chapter 3 <coughs> in Habakkuk was a sort of psalm. It was kind of like a psalm. Chapter 3. So that's it. That's your one and only fun fact. You have to <clears throat> learn guitar to read this book. He was emotional. He was poetic. He wasn't straightforward. And he played music. So he's a cool, you know, like he's a cool, like musician-y kind of guy. And Sounds... Nick will be right back. Yeah, he'll be right back. He's got, got a piece so bad. So bad. His bladder is something of a free spirit, I suppose. It's very... It makes music to the toilet. And yeah, it's kind of like a stringed instrument in a way that it has tubes. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> so there are three, three sections of Habakkuk. And the first one doesn't count. It's just the heading. Just like Micah. <clears throat> That's why even include it. Because it doesn't match up with the other two sections. It's its, its own section. All right? Okay. Deal with it. Okay. 
The second section is Habakkuk's questions and Yahweh's answers. And that's chapter 1 and chapter 2. And basically, Habakkuk's question about Judah, which is verse 2 through 4, is how long does he have to tell God about the wickedness? How long does he have to sit here and tell God about it? Is it two days? Is it three weeks? Is it four years? How long? I'm trying to make plans here. All right. And then basically God says that he's raising up the Babylonians to deal with this wickedness in Judah. And Habakkuk's comeback question about Babylon is, are they going to be successful forever? Like how long is Babylon going to be punishing Judah? And basically God answers and says, well, Babylon is a prideful nation and that they are drunks, drunkards, like Nick was saying. And if any of the Babylonians oppress people, or it says if they force people to get drunk, or if they kill helpless people, if they're prideful, he's going to deal with them. So he says that Babylon will punish Judah, but God will not allow them to go overboard. That's basically chapters one and two. And the third section and final section and final chapter is three. Chapter three, section three. Habakkuk's hymn in praise of Yahweh. So this is the psalm that I was talking about. So there's the introduction, and basically he's praying for revival here, and he's praying for forgiveness for Judah. And then there's a vision of God, and this is in verses 3 through 15. And basically God in this vision has this awesome appearance, and all the nations were scared of him, and he destroyed all the wicked nations. Um. And that goes all the way to verse 16, which is basically just Habakkuk praising the Lord and thanking him for this. And Habakkuk also mentions a famous, there's a famous little verse here, verse 19, that says, You have placed my feet like hind's feet in high places. You guys know that one? It's also a good book, Hind's Feet in High Places. It's a good allegory. Oh, I've never heard it. By Bunyan. Is it John Bunyan or Paul Bunyan? One is a fictional character. That's Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan was a Puritan. Mm. Hind's feet in high places. Good stuff. And that's it. That is the book of Habakkuk. See you later, Nick. You know, when we were going through the book of Habakkuk in school, my professor pulled up pictures of the mountain goats that live in that area. And it's like wild. The pictures of... These. Oh, is that the ones that hang out like on the vertical slopes? Yeah, like on these tiny little things. Yeah. And they're just chilling. And that's what Habakkuk's actually talking about. He's talking about oh. them because those those are from that area. They live in like Iran, Israel, mm-hmm. Afghanistan area. Those are the hinds feet on the high places. All right. So we are going through this entire episode. Finally, we're at the end. We hope you followed along. Finally. Again, this is not to replace your Bibles. <laughs> We do want you to read your Bibles on your own. This is just a general outline of the book to give you an idea of what you're getting into before you dive in. But here we are at Zephaniah, and we start every book with... Where are the turtles? Where is it? With the title. So the title comes from the author's name, which is Zephaniah. His name means... Yahweh hides, Yahweh's watchman, or Yahweh's treasured, okay? 
Then we dive into the author. Let's dive in. And there's not much argument here. The book proclaims that Zephaniah wrote it. So we know that God's word is inerrant. So we're going to believe that Zephaniah wrote it. Next is the date of writing. The book dates itself during the reign of King Josiah. And his reign was between 640 and 609 B.C. Also, the spiritual condition described in the book points to a time before Josiah's reforms, which occurred in 628 B.C. You ruined me, bro. I can never say the word points normal again. I didn't do anything to you, Nick. Yes. Points. The way you say points I simply rubbed off on me. Spoke. And now I'm saying points weird. Hmm. Anyway, the third point about the date of writing is that it places the date of writing between 640 and 628 B.C. Now for the <laughs> porpoise of the book, which is the purpose. God pronounced judgment on Judah in this book because Judah would not fix their heart problems. They did not love God. So that is the purpose, but it can be easily applied to us. Our hearts need to be fixed. Our hearts need to be circumcised mm. when we are in relationship with Christ. Now, for the... Hit me with that, because I'm definitely not going to know where it is. I will hit you with it. Boom. Everybody's favorite part of the show. Fun facts. Bible dinger. All right, I'll take that. Fun fact number one. And only. <laughs> Fun fact number only. Fun fact number only. <laughs> Zephaniah is the great, great grandson of King Hezekiah. Because of this, Zephaniah has the highest social standing out of any Old Testament writer besides David, Solomon, and Moses. Hold up. Hold up. Wow. Are you doing? That's pretty cool. That Zephaniah is, cool. is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. doesn't seem like it because none of you have ever read his book. I have. Well, oh. well, I have. I'm not saying none of you in this oh. room, but none of you listening to this podcast, I'm sure. I could be wrong. <laughs> but, I would uh, hope they're wrong. But again, read your Bible if you're listening to this episode. Yeah. Zephaniah is a cool read. It's so cool. It is. Anyway, we are diving into the outline of the book now. Splish splash. And this book is, like the others that we talked about in this episode, is divided into three parts. The first one is the heading. Of course, when we're just simply reading the first book, the first verse of the book, it gives us an idea of where we're going. Then we go into the day of Yahweh's judgment. That is chapter 1, verses 2, uh, I mean verse 2, into chapter 3, verse 8. And that is divided into four parts. Judgment of, on the world, judgment on Judah, judgment on Israel's neighbors, judgment on Israel, and I'm sorry, I forgot one more, judgment on all the nations. Mm. Now, the first point is very, very interesting. Verses uh, 2 and 3 suggests that God is going to have judgment on the world, regardless of what view you have with your eschatology. I think you're going to agree with me here. Now, the Bible is filled 
with typified judgments all throughout of the Old Testament. So judgments that although it is in context to those people, they point to judgments that we will face on earth. Now here is the case with this. Now, Zephaniah borrowed language from Genesis. It's very similar to the language we see in the destruction of the world with Jonah. Okay? With this particular Jonah. one... You mean Noah. I mean Noah, sorry. Most people will agree, no matter what eschatolo eschatology you uh, align... Eschatological. Yeah, eschatological view you hold to... I think all of us are aligned that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will have glorified bodies and be resurrected as a result of Christ's well, resurrection. I already have my glorified body, but continue. Yes, you look like you have a glorified body, you know what I mean? but it gets better than that. I, I doubt it. I highly doubt I it. I doubt it, too. <laughs> so this destruction of the earth could be... I mean, it does require more study, but in my limited study, it could be pointing to Earth's destruction later on. And when we get the new heavens and the earth and the new glorified bodies, this could be after what this is talking about. So I'm not going to get into the specifics of your eschatology, but I think in a general sense, it's pointing to the destruction of the world before we get the new one. Would you agree with that? That's just the first three verses. Would you agree with that? Are we safe? We're safe. We're in a safe place. Yeah, because I know some people are pre-mill, some people are a-mill, and all, all this other stuff. But I think in the most simple sense, we can leave it that it's pointing to a destruction of the earth that we all agree with and all believe in. Anyway, let's move in uh, faster. So we're still in faster, chapter faster. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, judgment on Judah. <laughs> Chapter 1, you verse 4. You have to go faster, bro. You just chill. Into chapter 2, verse 3. <laughs> the cause for Judah's judgment. We see that in verses 4 through 6. Baal worship, idol worship, star worship. They were doing all this idolatry. This is the cause for Judah's uh, judgment. Then the course of Judah's judgment. We see in verse 7 through 13, the Lord prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. On that day, he will punish the officials and king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. So that is oh. the course. Those attires, man, they'd those be dangerous. Those foreign attires, those bro. Those foreign attires, bro. Sometimes I'd be wearing like those Egyptian hats on my head. My shirt's made in China. And I feel so convicted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you are donezo. You look great. <laughs> you look great. Wait, what did he say? You better not be wearing no Chinese shirts, bro. My shoes are from Taiwan. I like Chinese shoes. You're going to get freaking judged. Anyway, next we are at the Im imminence and horrors of Judah's judgment in chapter 1, <laughs> verses 14 through 18. It is a day of wrath, distress, and anguish, ruin, and devastation, darkness, and gloom. But we have a call to repentance in the beginning of chapter 2. Before the decree takes effect, Zephaniah is pleading with them to come to the Lord in repentance, just like we are here pleading with those that do not know Christ to come to faith in Him. Um, but in this context, as we move on, 
in chapter 2, we see the judgment on Israel's neighbors in verses 4 through 15. And that is divided into four parts. The judgment coming on Philistia, judgment coming on Moab and Ammon, judgment coming on Ethiopia, and judgment coming on Assyria. When we get into the judgment coming on Philistia in verses 4 through 7, Gaza will be deserted and Ashkelon will become a desolation. But then we are uh, given in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7, the judgment on Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, this is important because this is consistent with what we know about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as we know, is rebellious and defiled. No matter what God does, they accept no correction, and they never learn from their mistakes. So it's typical Israel that we're learning about in the book of Zephaniah. Then, lastly, this is uh, the... uh, Third? No, we're in the judgment on all nations in chapter 3, verse 8. Then we dive into the third and final section of this book, the day of Yahweh's blessing. And that's chapter 3, verse 9 into verse 20, the purification of the nations. That's in verse 9. They, uh, he wants them to change their speech and changes, and he wants them to change them so they, that they serve God better. And then we see the transformation of Israel in chapter 3. No deceit found in their mouth. They will be humble and seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Then we see Israel's purification in chapter 3, 10, verse 13. Israel and Yahweh's rejoicing. He had mercy on them and removed his judgment. <laughs> yeah, my kids are being Your wild, kids are sorry. crazy, so we got to get this episode done with. And then we have Israel's regathering. That's in chapter uh, 3, of course. It's the final chapter, and that's the final two verses of this entire book. He will save the lame and gather the outcasts and change their shame into praise. He will save the lame is their hope for me? Yeah. That one day I will be saved since I'm so lame. Exactly. I thought you were talking about your glorious body. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, again, in context, this is what it's talking about. But the beauty of, of a book like this is that how sinful they were. They, are, they were hope. There was hope for them. Even for the lame. Even for the lame. And we all know that Ryan is super lame. Yeah. And Mark is not as lame. But and I may have a glorified body, but that does not mean I have a good personality. Yeah. Mm. It's super. You're still going to be a terrible Mm. person with a glorified body. Exactly. That's me. That basically describes me. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, you're a terrible person with a glorified body. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. It looks glorified. But on the inside, it is lame. Yes. So the (laughs) inside of your body is not yet to be glorified, but the outside of it is glorified. Yeah, it looks it looks incredible. It's almost deified. I am very I, proud. The stench of heresy is <laughs> yeah, the building in this room. You smell those heresies, bro? No, that's my that's my wife's pork loins. Oh. <laughs> oh man, those pork loins look really good. And I mean that with respect, of course. Don't talk about my wife's pork loins <laughs> like that. <laughs> anyway, that was our episode on how many books? 4. 4 books. Uh, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. How you doing? It was fun. It was a lot of study. It was a lot of work. We hope you enjoyed it. But if this is your first time listening and you enjoyed what you heard, 
please go on our website at www.bibledingers.com and check out everything we have to offer. We have guest writers on our blogs for Weird Verse Wednesday, and we have all of our episodes listed right on the website. But if you are on social media, we encourage you to go on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find us at Bible Dingers across the board. But while you're there... Just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit like, hit subscribe, hit follow, and most importantly, ding on. Bible diggers. Be trying to go hard for my family and my homies and my cousins. Yeah. Everything touches my face. Got a lot on my plate. Gotta keep pushing me. Yeah. I be dealing with struggles and all the pressure. Turn my piece up in this world like I'm mad up. I don't wanna die, I'm just living forever.